certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh, God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Sarah Spears had been enjoying Australia Day with family and friends. Today in court, they revealed their last moments with her. We also hear from strangers woken in the early hours by desperate, blood-curdling screams. Welcome to Claremont in Conversation. I'm Natalie Bonjolo, along with the West Australian newspapers Tim Clark and Emily Moulton. Hello to you both. Hello. And I think just before we dive into today's details... Last night we received a huge amount of questions to our podcast and so we're going to try and answer those or a few of them at least at the end of tonight's episode. So stay with us and we'll get to those as soon as we can. Um, Tim and Emily, I think, you know, day nine today turned out to be really quite emotional and quite dramatic. Yeah, there was there was quite a lot of witnesses, people that we weren't actually expecting so soon as well. Um, but um, there was a statement from... Sarah's sister Amanda read into court today about the the day that she went missing and and her account of what happened that day, yeah. and, and and one particular thing that Amanda had said, which I think probably sort of would have you know broke everyone's hearts, was the last moment she saw her when she sort of hugged her through the window and said goodbye. So where where were they? Had they been out together, or how were they together? And what was those last moments together? Um, I think what Amanda had said that Sarah had gone to the OBH with a couple of her friends and then she was going to her friend Penny's house and then she went to the house and went back to the OBH and then they met up with other friends and then there was two guys that were there and she, Amanda said she gave them a lift to Club Bay View and then remembered that she'd promised Sarah that she would pick her up so then she went back to the OBH and then when she got back to the OBH, um, Greg, I think his name was, had not managed to get into the club um, and then Sarah, and then she said that she took Sarah, her friend Emma, and Greg to Club Bayview. Yeah. And um, as they were driving driving along, they were just um, Sarah had said to her that she didn't have any money, and she asked Amanda if they could stop so that they could um, get some money out of an ATM. But then yeah. I think Emma had said to her, "Dad, it's all right. There'll be an ATM inside the club. Don't worry about it." So something along those lines. So then they just kept going, and then Amanda dropped them off outside the club. And that's when Sarah um, got out of the car and they had a kiss and a hug. and Yeah, said and goodbye. Said goodbye. Um, and did they, at, during um, this statement, did they play the phone call again that we heard, that you heard earlier in court last week from Sarah? Yeah, they did, Nat. Um, that was... Um tended as um, part of the evidence of the lady that actually took the phone call on the other end of um, the, um, the, the, the uh, taxi HQ, basically, Swan mm-hmm. Taxi's HQ. Um, and she described in her, in her witness statement how she'd just taken a normal call at just after two in the morning, um, heard the lady, recorded it, um, as you know, logged it as a job, um, and then, you know, sent the taxi on their way, which he'd probably done a thousand times, maybe a thousand times that night, given it was Australia Day going into the morning. Mm. Um, and yeah, and they um, and they did, and they played it again. And you know, I've got to say, it, well, it, it was no less emotional hearing it a second time than it was the first time we yeah. heard it. Um, in fact, they actually put the transcript of what was actually being said up on the screen as they were being as it was being played today. So you probably got a clearer. Or, or a more distinct um, notion of what 
um, what the conversation was. It was very short. It was very brief. You know, mm-hmm. where are you going? Um, you know, there was a little bit of miscommunication about the, the address. And then you could hear Sarah saying, yeah, Mosmill Park, the name is Spears. And, and then the phone call ended. And, and, and as we found out yesterday, the taxi driver, Mr. Krupnik, it only took him two minutes to go around the corner um, to where she was near that phone box. But yeah. um, she wasn't there. Um, and what we did here uh, as well today, as M said, we got a, we got a cavalcade of witnesses today. We, we we heard from another chap who was in that car that we discussed yesterday that actually think they saw Sarah on the on the corner, yeah. and and he had a, a, a little bit of a better recollection, to be honest, um, of of what she looked like and what she was doing. But it was it was much the same as his friend that he, that you know they saw the attractive, slim sort of quite petite young woman just sort of leaning against the bollard with her hands crossed just looking out for a, for a cab ride home and um, as we, uh, we've we so often mentioned um, in the last couple of weeks she obviously didn't get into that cab and, no. and never made it home. Did, um, did they talk about whether they made eye contact with her? Did she look at them and when they looked at her or anything like that? Yeah, one of them, um, the, the guy d- today just said that he... Like when he like was looking, he said he was just staring outside and he saw this girl leaning on this bollard and it was like a well-lit sort of area where, where she was standing and he said that sort of he looked up at her and she just sort of glanced up. and But he said, it, you know, it was only for a fleeting few seconds, but he said he just saw her glance up, but yeah. it looked like she was there waiting for someone or... Um, and then he remembered what she was wearing, which was a light-coloured top and light... Um, light shorts but not white and he said they weren't short shorts they were like shorts <laughs> which yeah. um and which earlier exactly yeah. matched the, the, the description that um, Amanda, Amanda had, given, um, yeah. had given in her right. statement and that statement that was actually the one taken only a few days after Sarah went missing so this, this wasn't a witness sort of testimony in court today 25 years later 23 years later but this was actually the words that she'd spoken to the police uh, on the 31st of January, I uh, think. Um, and, you know, um, as, as far as I'm aware, we've never heard that statement in full. Mm-hmm. Um, and even as it was being read by um, uh, one of the prosecutors today, I mean, you, you could, you, I mean, you could hear the sort of bewilderment and, and bemusement and, and, you know, horror, I suppose, uh, even sort of in those lines, just being read in a, in, in the sterile environment of a court and yeah. um, I'm sure those emotions linger right up to today. And why was um, Sarah's sister's evidence given in a statement and why wasn't she in court or a video link like the others? Well, um, most probably not because um, Mr Jovic, the defence lawyer, has said, well, I don't need to ask Amanda, any questions about this? I don't think they doubt the statement is true or mm-hmm. incorrect in any way. Um, and so I'm sure um, Ms. Barbara Gallo was said, well, you know, to spare um, uh, Amanda the, the, you know, the pain of coming to court and having to do it in person, um, we can just read the statement in. And uh, and, and that, that, as 
we just found out right then at the end that's that's going to become a more a bit of a more common common occurrence in the trial now right. when these when these statements are agreed between the parties um and you know to save time and inconvenience for people to coming to court that you can just agree to read the statement in although the judge has specified that they will they won't just be tendered and not be read so we will hear the words but we won't necessarily need to to see everyone who's who's giving evidence also um one of the other witnesses today this was one of sarah's friends she also was quite emotional when she was recounting her last moments with sarah too yeah she sort of appeared to i think towards the end especially sort of get almost not quite teary but you could tell that she was still quite emotional about recalling those events because it sounded like they were very close friends at the time and she said that like she was with her at the OBH and went to the Club Bayview with her and she, she sort of said that Sarah was just like n- normal, like ever happy and chatty and chatting to people inside the club and when they're at the OBH and then, you know, Sarah just decided that she wanted to go and I think Emma had said, oh, well, are you sure you don't want to stay? And she said, no, no, I'm going to go and had, and just left and she said, she goes, you know, she saw her walk out through the doors, down the stairs, down through the doors of, of Club Bayview and that was the last time she saw her. Jeez. And sort of when she sort of said that, she was sort of had to repeat it because she was a bit more like... It was like a soft, like she was softer trying to say and going, yeah, it was the last time. It's yeah. sort of agreeing with the prosecutor saying, yeah, it was the last time she saw her. And you can yeah. only imagine, I mean, for her, I guess the regret that she would feel when you say to your friend, oh, you know, you sure you want to go? Shall I come? No, I'm fine. And, and you know, you say goodbye and then this happens. And just imagine how it must be for her living with that all these years later. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't strictly touched upon in the evidence that, but I mean... I mean, you could just read by it was her name's Emma McCormack, um, and she was. You could obviously tell by her body language um, how um, traumatic that memory was today, and no doubt has been for 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 many, um, many, many years. And um, I mean, during during her testimony, and it wasn't it wasn't long, um, but when um, when she got to that moment when when she described how Sarah just said oh no I'll get a taxi I'll be fine and and, and left um they were they were tears in the in the public gallery as well mm. because I think everyone um everyone um felt um what that that moment um you know must have must have meant at the time and, and must have meant for all these years after I presume um, Don Spears was in court today. He actually wasn't that. No, okay. we didn't see Don today. Um, he has been um, obviously very regularly last week, but um, not as regular this week. Um, and as we mentioned on the podcast last night, um, you know there was there was no, there was no sort of um, formal movement from you know one section of the evidence to the other. But as 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 it, I mean, it became quite evident late yesterday that we had moved into that portion of the evidence dealing with Sarah's disappearance um, and that became obviously much clearer today so you know whether Don's been given notice of that and, and, and has decided he, he doesn't need to hear it or doesn't want to hear it um, we're not sure but um, but there were you know there were enough um, there were enough witnesses today to uh, to realize um, how loved and missed um, Sarah is. One of the other things that we sort of heard today, which I think 
I don't think many people knew was why Sarah, uh, Sarah was going to Mosman Park. And we yeah. heard from one of the first witnesses this morning was from Christine Hams, who was the mother of one of Sarah's friends. And um, she said her her daughter and Sarah used to board together at Iona um, College. So And Sarah used to, to frequently be at her house and, 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 and sort of throughout the years of school and even post-school. And she said that day she had lunch with her um, because she'd come round and they were just chatting and Sarah was telling her all about what she was getting up to to that, that night sort of thing. And, and Mrs Hams had sort of said to Sarah, well, if, if you want, if you don't want to go home to South Perth, you can always stay here in Mosman Park. So perhaps that's maybe why she was heading to Mosman Park. We, we still don't know, but it sort of maybe gave us an idea of because when everyone heard, oh, why was she going to Mosman Park? She lived in South Perth. Yes. So that could have been a possibility why she asked to go home, like asked for the taxi to take her to Mosman Park. So... And was Mrs Hams asked um, if she thought anything of it in the morning when Sarah hadn't came come back or...? I think it was more Sarah's family. I think it was because the, the Sunday um, they were meant to be... Um, in Amanda's statement, she said that she knew something was wrong because Sarah had invited two of her friends out from that night to spend to go to the fireworks or skyworks show, which was meant to be held on the Sunday night, and they were staying at their place to, with them. So when Sarah wasn't there, then they started to become a bit worried about, well, where is she? And obviously from there we, we know what happens. And after, um, I mean, Sarah obviously has disappeared and vanished somewhere between, you know, 2 and 2.30, I guess. Mm. Um, and then you've heard from these witnesses today who have been woken by these terrible blood-curdling screams around 3am in the morning. Yeah, so that was flagged once again in the opening and they call them, the, they were labelled the Mosman Park Scream Series. Ms Barbara Gallo said in opening that it would be evidence from basically four different sites around Mosman Park mm -hmm. um, that recorded and heard very similar um, sounds in the, those early hours and today we heard from from two of those four places um, a couple um, on, on, a, on a street called St Leonard's Street which basically runs um, at 90 degrees to Stirling Highway which is where, where a lot of the action in Claremont happened and then another um, more elderly lady who lived basically one street back and they both well, so, so three witness testimonies from two different sites, and they and they both gave very, um, you know, sort of startling evidence, mm -hmm. really, about how this, you know, silent night in uh, normal silent night in in Mosman Park, um, they, they were both woken so loud with the screams that they heard coming from a similar direction. Um, the, the first um, uh, witness, Mr. Stewart. Um, said he was actually woken by his wife or fiancé at the time who mm -hmm. heard the scream. He was so concerned he went out onto his balcony and heard another scream. Um, and um, and he said it, it was it was someone obviously in distress or or, or being hurt. Mm -hmm. um, but his was probably the most significant of the three testimonies because he said he then looked towards the area from where he thought the scream was coming from. Um, and he said it, he pinpointed it at a, a place called Monument Street, which is a, a, sort of a couple of streets over from where he lived. And he saw by a phone box about from about 100 metres away 
the rear rear tail lights of a of, of a wagon, a light coloured wagon, which looked like. And he said he, uh, his wife then said later that they looked like the the tail lights were actually glowing, as if someone was actually mm. pressing the brake. Um, and then Mr. Stewart then said he heard two doors slam pretty quickly together, um, and then the car um, drove off uh, into the distance. And obviously, from what we know from various testimony over the last nine days, um, prosecutors will say that Mr. Edwards um, was was had in, in his possession at the time uh, either a Toyota Camry wagon or later on a Holden Commodore wagon, both white, um, both you know with mm. Telstra insignia on, not but that was what Mr. Stewart mentioned. Um, and uh, the other thing he mentioned was the distinctive taillights on this car, which he actually pinpointed to another model of, of car that he was familiar with. Um, but the I think the prosecution down the track will say, well, you know, those models are very similar in 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 in, in make and um, and configuration, um, and so it's just another little layer yeah. on top of all these layers of coincidence and and circumstance that the prosecution is going to point to to say that there was someone in a white car driving around Claremont abducting women, and Sarah was the first of those to die. Did they call the police? She yes, called they Crime both Stoppers. Did. Yes, yeah. all these witnesses did. Yes. Okay. Um, but not immediately. One of them said they did call immediately. Um, the older lady, Mrs. Borat, um, yeah. she said she called about a week later. Um, and obviously, by that time, there would have been significant media, um, you know, coverage of Sarah's disappearance already. Um, so, yeah, what we've learned is a lot of the reports to the police were sort of generated by the publicity, and then and then it sort of took took on a life of its own. Um, but yeah, I mean, they 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 all said, or pretty much all of them said, that it was a significant enough sound for them to to, to call the police. And so, I mean, you can imagine, uh, Mrs. Borat was particularly vivid in her description. She said they were they were desperate and they were terrible. Um, Blood curdling, I think it was. And yeah. it was it was a sound that she she would she didn't and hasn't forgotten. Yeah, because I think, you know, you wonder, you know, do you make a phone call when you hear screams but you can't mm. see anything and you think, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's someone being stupid or... Yeah. She, Mrs. Borrett had actually said she, she hadn't been drinking that day at all, so she'd been in and out at a 50th um, wedding anniversary party and had been home at, at 11, mm. gone to sleep, woke up and heard these, um, and this is what she sort of, her quote was, desperate, blood-curdling, terrible, terrible screams, something that you'll never forget. And then so she was sort of um, disturbed by that, and she said that they were like one after the other, very high-pitched, oh. um, and, and she was so very, still today, still very vivid about what she heard. Um, and then... Um, and sort apologetic of, for yeah. actually going and doing something. Yeah, because Miss Barbara Gower asked her, did you do anything? She said, oh, I wish I had. I'm so sorry I didn't do oh. anything. That just gives you goosebumps thinking of that description. Yeah. And even um, Miss Munro, Mr Stewart's fiance, she also said that she heard blood-curdling screams as well. So, And that's, she said that's why it woke her up. And, and they just said, like, it just wasn't, it wasn't just a scream. Like, all of the witnesses, like, while their descriptions were, you know, slightly different, they all said it wasn't just, you know, like a, yeah. a scream. It was something that really shook them and made them think, oh, someone's, someone's in trouble here. Yeah, and uh, again, I just, you know, can't help but feel for this woman who's obviously standing there and saying, I'm sorry. Yeah. I wish I'd done something. But, you know, who's to know? Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Um, you also heard from uh, another woman um, from a year before Sarah went missing. Um, what was her What was her situation? Yeah, so this was the fifth and final sort of um, what we call labelled the living witness um, project evidence, um, and we we sort of flagged it last night that that she might be the sort of the, the most sort of dramatic and significant of those, and, and as it turned out, it was quite dramatic um, <laughs> testimony and could be quite significant. This was a lady called Katrina Jones. She'd been to a wedding, um, so that's how they were uh, allowed or able to pinpoint the um, date so precisely. Like um, she'd had a row with her so. boyfriend. She mm. stormed off um, once again in the in the on the Stirling Highway um, strip. There, she didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. Um, she was upset. She tried to flag down a pizza delivery guy to get her a lift to where her car was um, a few suburbs away um, he wouldn't help her um, and then lo and behold this 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 white car um, appears again the man rolls down the window says you, you look upset she says yes I am would you like a lift yes I would and so in she gets um, oh. and it sticks in her mind because she remembered um, that during their conversation this man had told her that he either worked for Telecom or Telstra or worked for a telecommunications company um, and that had jogged her memory because her brother who, who had left the armed forces was had then um, worked, done the same thing and so that, that was a, obviously a, a piece of common ground so they talked about that and it had stuck in her mind and then much like another couple of the living witnesses yesterday she said she just got a vibe she just got yeah. a, a, a mm-hmm. feeling that something maybe wasn't quite right so she asked this driver to drop her about, um, you know, a few a few um, hundred metres back from where her car was because she didn't actually want him to know that was her car. She got out of the car, she went to walk, and then she said suddenly she turned around and this man was there. Tried to kiss her, um, but good on Katrina. She was a blue belt in taekwondo <laughs> and said, um, mate, not tonight. Uh, don't go there or I'm going to drop you. And um, What did he do? He, he, he took the hint and, um, and wandered away and got in his car and drove off. Um, and so Miss Jones said, you know, it was, it was a memorable night for, for many yeah. reasons. Yeah. It, it, it was a very emotional testimony and she, and she did get very ups, upset while she, was, while she was recounting her story. Um, very strong in her memories, I've got to say, and very, and very, um, very stern in her answers to, to Mr. Jovic when he she he was trying to cross-examine her about it. Um, but mm. when she, when she got through it, and she did get through it um, quite admirably and commendably, but you know, so, and then when she basically was 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 had um, had told her tale and, and said everything she wanted to say and was let go from the witness stand. Um, she, yeah, she basically broke down in tears as she was exiting the court, and it was, and it was quite a, a touching moment. Um, you know, we've talked about Miss Barbara Gallo being this sort of fearsome legal um, mind and, and yeah. fearsome legal personality, and she is that. But um, she basically put her arm around Miss Jones and basically comforted her out of as as she she left um, the court. Um, which was, uh, you know, obviously an illustration of how much um, Miss, Miss, it, it had taken out of Miss, Mrs. 
Jones to give this evidence. Yeah, I guess it's probably not only giving the testimony, it's also that kind of pressure that you would feel when you're under cross-examination must be really intense. Well, I think the pressure even in uh, what they call evidence-in-chief, I mean, you, you know, everyone, I, th I think without question, every single witness that we've seen so far has been trying their absolute best to get their recollection as close to their, their memory as they as they can. Um, because, you know, as we all know, this is, this is a very, very, very important case. And we, we've seen it time and again that people have taken their time and really, really straining to do everything they can to make sure the judge has got all the information that he could possibly need. Do they get to, I suppose there's so much pressure because they, they don't get another go if they remember something after they've, after they've left the stand, is, is that right? Yeah, that's right, you can't, I mean, well, it, it is and it isn't. You, you can be recalled um, as a witness, but not if you forget something, only if the judge or the, the prosecution or the defence think that they, they they might have something to add. And it's pretty exceptional for a witness to be to be recalled, but it, it does happen. Um, and, you know, they're giving their statements and, and you know, it's not a, it's, well, it is a memory test, but it's not, it's not like an exam where you go in and you're not allowed to have your notes or whatever. I mean, they're giving their statement and, they, you know, they, they're sort of, they're edged towards the recollection um, because, once again, I mean, it, it, it's it's a it's a it's a judge alone trial, so the judge the judge needs all the evidence that it, that he can can get. I mean, obviously, it's been got to be presented in the right way. Um, but I mean, yeah, you are right, Kate. That once you once pretty much once you're done, you're done. Um, and um, so you know, everyone's really making sure they, they, that they they're leaving everything they can in the court that they want to leave there. One of the things that um like in Miss Jones' evidence as well, as she, when she was talking about the conversation she was having with this driver in the car, so she asked, she sort of asked, well, you know, what are you doing picking up women at, you know, 2, 2.30 yeah. in the morning? And he just says, oh, well, I was actually, you know, I was actually headed to Cottesloe, but, um, I'm, I, just, but I just pick up damsels in distress like yourself. And sort of that yeah. sort of was, you know, she said that sort of stuck with her as well because, and, and it is an obvious question, who, why would someone be going around at that hour of the morning slash night to to pick up giving random strangers lifts home. And when she was in the car and she sort of said she had started to get this vibe and started to suspect something, um, did she get to elaborate with no. what she was saying there? she got cut off very quickly because they've been very... Very, um, I think a lot of witnesses want to sort of explain things, but yes. the judge has to just steps in and go, no, you just answer the question. They did that a few times today. Justice Hall, with a few witnesses, just wants them to answer the question, not to elaborate, not to tell, not to tell him what they were thinking or feeling, but just what happened. Um, so she was cut off very quickly, so she couldn't elaborate why she felt like she had to get up. We've seen that yeah. from uh, so many times yeah. now, haven't we, from the prosecutor and the defence and these people getting cut off and, and these are the questions that people are asking and wanting to know. Actually, just we do have a question from one of the listeners who wanted to know if the prosecution, you may know this, Tim, if mm. the prosecution cuts off the witness and the judge does want to know more and lead them down that path, can he do that? Yes, he can. So the judge, the judge is the boss. The judge is, it is, it is his court. It is run his way. 
Um, and if he believes or if he wants to elicit some information that he doesn't think um, has been asked for and it will be useful to him, then he is allowed to ask any questions he wants um, at any time he wants. He doesn't need to wait for the prosecutor or defence. He will just jump in and, and, he, and, and Justice Hall, Justice Stephen Hall has done that on various occasions. But on the flip side of that, if he thinks, as Ems just said, if he thinks a witness is going too far away from the question, he's, he's, he's going to produce some hearsay evidence, which is like talking about what someone else has said, or is trying, or if a witness is trying to um, project some emotion onto a situation, whether it be I think he was thinking this or I thought he meant that, yeah. that's just that's just scrubbed completely. If it, if it does get through or it's cut off before it happens. This is another question that we've had from listeners. Mm. Um, Andrew was asking, why are they called Telstra living witnesses with the emphasis on living? Is it because there are some witnesses who have passed? Who's coined the term and why? Yeah. So, um, well, just a sneak preview. So I've done a big um, sort of explain a read on this to go into the weekend West Australian on, on Saturday. So look out for that. But very briefly, yeah. just after Kira went missing, um, the police basically came up with a theory, which was, look, if there is a man out there who's picked up lone women in this in a car off the streets of Claremont and gone on and killed them, then there might have been incidences where he's picked up women and hasn't killed them. Um, and so, therefore, they become living witnesses. Right. And at, at, the, at that time, back in 97, it became the Living Witness Project. Right. Um, and so they they basically trawled through all their records from, from, from calls past and to come, or, or, you know, that did come in about you know, lone women that had either um, been offered a lift and refused one, had taken a lift and uh, and had issues or had taken a lift and hadn't had any issues and just been dropped off um so that was the living witness project they've yeah. obviously collated all this information together and then um when it became obvious way way down the track that um telstra might uh, a telstra employee or worker might be involved in that um those incidences were well, Mr. Jovic has said those incidences were whittled down um, to conveniently take in all the mentions of Telstra from those witnesses. But Mr. Jovic has also flagged there were, an, there were another couple, um, another few, that um, were part of this project that didn't mention Telstra at all. And can we just squeeze in another question from Natalie, who wanted to know... How do they know Sarah Spears has been murdered and why do they say she's been murdered when they haven't found a body? And do they just assume that? Well, it's been, um, it's been admitted by Mr Edwards' lawyer on his behalf that um, they mm. concede that, that Sarah is, is dead. Mm. Um, she hasn't been seen. Her bank accounts haven't been accessed. No friends and family have heard from her in you know, more than 23 years. So there's no dispute that she is missing and there's, there's no dispute in law, in the court, that she is dead. Um, when, when Mr Edwards was first arrested, he was only charged with Kira and Jane's murders. That was because, well, obviously there were remains um, 
for Gina and Kira. Yeah. Um, and they, the, the police were confident enough at that time through, as we discussed, the forensic evidence and other evidence that um, they had been murdered and they'd be murdered by Mr. Edwards. It took them quite a while to then charge him with Sarah's murder because, as we previously discussed, Sarah's murder, because there is no body, is a purely circumstantial case. And so we can you could probably read between the lines there that it, that it, that it, it it took them some time to get the bring the, the the circumstances together where they were confident enough that they could bring a a good case to court to argue that all three were done by the same person. So some very good questions from listeners there and and keep them coming if you've got any questions or any feedback at all you can contact us on Claremont Podcast. That's Claremont Podcast, one word, lowercase, at wanews.com.au. Thank, thank you to you both. Um, and just Thanks, before guys. we go, we've had a lot of you wanting to know more about the evidence from the wife's first, the first wife's lover. So we didn't get to cover that in as great a detail as we'd like to. So we're going to do a bonus episode on that, and that should be available tomorrow evening. On the weekend sometime. On the weekend. So for those of you who have emailed in saying we want to know more, we want all of the details of his evidence, we'll have that to you as soon as we can. Thanks again. Thank you to you both. And join us tomorrow as we wrap up week two of Claremont in Conversation. This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bongiorlo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au.